0: Yeah and you can get us on our WhatsApp line as well on 0791914270 0791914270 send us your voice notes there uh yeah on all of these issues relating to this vexing matter of uh, unemployment now we're hitting a record high of 34.4% 7.8 million people out of work, and that only includes so those that are looking for work. Uh, It's the highest unemployment rate recorded since the survey started in 2008, and uh, yeah, as I said, uh, I think Bloomberg ran with that story earlier on today. Highest uh, recorded level of unemployment yeah, that's certainly been seen in the world Um, yeah, for for a very long time. And uh, uh, Ibrahim Khalil Hassan, Independent Public Policy Analyst and the founder of Zapreneur, joins me now on the line uh, to unpack Uh, Yeah, some of the stories behind these numbers. E.K., good evening to you and welcome. Thank you, Ababa. Yeah, thank you very much for joining us. E.K., maybe let's maybe start off, uh, I guess, for me, in many ways, the big part of the story in recent memory of our unemployment potentially has to start around the global financial crisis as one milestone. I mean, uh, I was saying earlier to the listeners, uh, the deputy governor of the Reserve Bank was saying last week, probably the lowest level of unemployment we've seen in the post-apartheid period has been around 22% or so. Uh, but we certainly have battled to even reach those levels since 2007-8 uh, and the and the fallout of that particular economic shock. What have you made of some of the, uh, I guess, unemployment that we've experienced since then, but also uh, what is seen by many as long-term unemployment? So people who have been structurally locked out of the, un- uh, of the labor market uh, who haven't found work, say, in the last 12 months or so.
1: Sure. I mean, I think uh, I think it's important to note that the the numbers, as devastating as they are, do not come as a surprise in the context of, of the COVID um, uh, the COVID, uh, COVID pandemic and the lockdowns. We certainly right to place it historically uh, in terms of the global the global financial crisis. What it does indicate is an inability in South Africa to respond to shocks. Whether it's a a, a shock in terms of the a turmoil in the global markets, or a shock in terms of pandemics. We're not able to, our businesses are not able to be resilient, be able to move uh, and adapt to, to changing to changing conditions, and that results in um, in higher levels of unemployment. On the one hand, and as you know, I mean, there's a lot of a lot of younger people uh, entering the labor market that simply don't have any opportunities. Uh, so yeah, I mean, historically, I mean, this number is is now at a, at a point where Everybody is taking notice. I mean, as you mentioned, Bloomberg, um, tweet, um, uh, you, you know, ran, ran with that headline, and I've got it probably from about 20 people on on different on different platforms. Mm. You know, this you know, this is like a real problem, and it's been a real problem for a long time. A the question is, mm. Why? Why haven't why haven't we yet begun to resolve it in a way that deals with the structural nature of money? Mm.
0: Ibrahim, uh, I want you to move around for me slightly, um, while we or we'll just try and reconnect you. On a much, much better line, we seem to be hearing you very, very faintly. So if you can just move around for me slightly uh, and we'll try and uh, reconnect with you and call you again. Uh, the, uh, that is uh, Ibrahim Khalil Hassan. He's an independent public policy analyst and uh, the founder of Zarpreneur. We're going to speak to him, of course, about uh, some of those unemployment numbers. Uh, but more importantly, what they mean for what we're calling long-term Underemployment of people, so people who've been out of the labor market who haven't undertaken the job search in a very long time and uh, I guess it speaks volumes about the difficulties of uh, exit and entry into our labor market and we'll pick that up uh, on the other side of this brief break. You can also send through your voice notes, uh, certainly Naleyo, and uh, you can send us your voice notes there on 079-191-4270. Uh, EK, I hope we have you on a better line. Uh, can you hear me? Uh, oh, bomb? That sounds, that sounds perfect. Right. That sounds perfect. So, so, Ike, you were saying just before, I guess we had to uh, just pause there and uh, reconnect, uh, that uh, yeah, people are only, I guess, really waking up to this uh, or particular classes in the society, I would imagine. Um, and I think a big part of it also, uh, Ike has to do with what we've seen in the post-apartheid period as where the jobs have been created. Where, where have we seen the jobs um, and what has happened during those economic shocks? And those shocks might be 2007 8 crisis, it might be COVID 19, you know, or or a commodity cycle or the down part of the cycle. Where where Mm. have we seen the jobs lost uh, and maybe also where the jobs have uh, emerged from? So, I mean, it's,
1: uh, I mean, a big part of the job creation in South Africa has been within government, public services. Mm. Uh, There's also been an increase in jobs in terms of uh, finances and business services. Uh, Those have been the two big sort of drivers. Mm. I think what's equally important is where jobs have not been created. If one looks at the manufacturing numbers, you know, manufacturing with all the the hype from government around um, industrialization, you know, um, we've seen a significant decline in the numbers in in, in those sectors. We also haven't seen an increase in, in big increases in terms of construction and other sectors. So basically, I mean, it, it, it's basically we've shifted towards a more services based economy and growing, with growing employment there. But we know that those sectors are not going to be the sectors necessarily that that are able to absorb uh, particularly lower-skilled uh, workers in, in in South Africa. Mm, mm.
0: And and I mean, if you look at the trade sector, uh, I was saying to somebody, I mean, that's the one sector that, um, if I look at the last ten years or, or certain parts of it, that have seen massive employment growth, as we've seen the expansion of shopping malls and the expansion of you know major mainstream retailers into mm-hmm. markets in you know. Sec- uh, tier 2 towns, rural areas, and the like. Sure. Um, what do you make, I guess, of what the quarter that we're in now has, the implications that has had on employment in that particular sector? A major employer, I should also add, of African women.
1: No, sure. I mean, I think we mm. had multiple mm. effects, not only in terms of employment, but also in terms of ownership. So I, I think that there is potential within, within those sectors to... Uh, uh, to grow, uh, to grow employment,
0: mm, mm. and and I guess what would you see as the constraints to that? I mean, I, I think you raise a very important point that there's all manner of labour-intensive activities that are foregone or don't happen in many of our communities, largely due to I guess centralised distribution chains or you know centralised pr- production activities, um, you know, that come with retail. Because in su- in many cases, you know, these shopping malls don't just come empty-handed. They come with uh, you know, the entire centralized distribution and other forms of you know, value chain entry that uh, accompany just the retailer.
1: No, sure. I mean, it, it, it's really difficult for smaller businesses to compete with big players in the, in, in the South African economy. Uh, bread is always one example that, we, uh, uh, that I like to use because the, running a small bakery is not a very difficult or even a very capital-intensive uh, uh, project. You know, it's something that can be done and can be done successfully and lead to many smaller businesses being created. But we have value chains in our country which prioritize the standardization of breads but also uh, uh, prioritize bigger customers over smaller customers. So simple things like getting a product on the shelf of a supermarket is a really difficult process in South Africa. I think that these are sort of the micro sort of intervention that we need to begin to sustain sectors um, or sustain smaller businesses uh, in in these economies, the one argument that 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 I think is worth exploring, and I don't fully buy it, is this argument that in 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 areas in, in, uh, in, in areas like townships or in rural areas, there's a lack of lack of demand. You know, um, uh, I I don't fully buy it for the simple reason that um, in those in, in those type of circumstances, maybe we can be looking at some sort of intermediation role of government. You know, mm. bringing together. You know, whether it's what people are growing or but whether people are sewing um, uh, clothing or whatever. It's about beginning to bring these things together so that one can have um, sufficient economies of scale Mm. to justify um, uh, businesses
0: existing. Yeah, yeah. And I guess the other thing, you know, uh, EK, and it's certainly been doing the rounds since these numbers came out on social media, uh, is... You know, it does seem we've got so many instruments. I mean, we've got public employment services. You go to a labor center. You can sign up for that database. There's Harambe. You know, then then there's the, you know, Youth Employment Tax Incentives. There's YES. Uh, There's the Community Works Program, the National Youth Service, the National Rural Youth Corps. Mm -hmm. I mean... I could list it. We could even go to, you know, War on Water. What is it? War on Leaks. Mm, Uh, You know, uh, there's a fire program as well. So it does seem that there's a multiplicity of all of these programs. Um, Why is it that all of these programs don't coalesce into some coordinated structure that effectively uh, is able to serve as a job guarantee for anybody who's searching for a job and is in need of one?
1: Sure, that's a a fantastic question. And I mean, I've been... uh, I think the more, the more the more one looks at this question, I think it's really really important that we that we take the perspective of the of the young person who's actually looking for a job, mm. you know, and how they actually navigate the system, you know. So I mean, you have lots of young people who are extremely determined. I mean, week in week out, I mean, are putting their CVs out there, you know, they're on social media, they're trying to get a job, you know, um, but the system doesn't work for them, you know. So I think the starting point is really beginning to say you know, lead the ministers, lead the departments, et cetera. Let's actually look at who the beneficiary is supposed to be. You know, this young, unemployed, probably disconnected person, and how do they navigate the system? You know, I think for me, that's the starting point to really begin to turn this process around. That's the first point. The second point is that I think it's high time we begin to speak about more redistributive mechanisms. Mm-hmm. You know, the um, basic income grant, you know, as a basis to actually allow people to begin to search for jobs, yeah. as well as some sort of employment guarantee. And one of the uh, one of the silver linings out of the uh, the pandemic and the lockdowns is that now we have data around what a grant to young um, unemployed people would do. You mm-hmm. know, and there's data that's it, there's data that's showing us that it has a big impact in terms of uh, uh, in terms of poverty, and it may actually be having an impact in terms of allowing people to actually undertake job search. You know, so it, it's it's. I think for me, what's important is that, and it, I mean, you listen, I hope they un- understand this here, is that we can't speak of just of unemployment as in all, everybody being the same. You know, one, one type of unemployed person might be able to get onto a mobile app in six months to be able to get a job, you know, simply by just dealing with some sort of informational asymmetries around whether mm. they can get an internship, et cetera. And that's, e- and that's easier. I mean, there's another type of unemployment which is more deeper and more structural, you know, where somebody hasn't completed a, m- a metric. Um, where um, they completely disconnected from, from any work opportunities, uh, disconnected from networks, you know, and they, that's where we begin to say that a, a basic income grant or some sort of employment guarantee provides a basis for particularly those um, those young people outside of the workforce to actually begin to enter the workforce. And, and I think that's a, it's a range of interventions that are needed.
0: Mm, mm maybe e k just a you know I like the point you're making that it's a range of interventions because it does seem and you might want to maybe comment on this just as we wrap up that there's this binary that is being created, so it's either you know you give people uh comprehensive uh, a social security framework that hits on all of the coverage gaps that there might be by way of a targeted or universal basic income grant, uh, or employment. Um, there, there seems to be a distinction between the two, um, and, and I want to hear your views on that. I certainly hold, you know, that it's not an either-or. Uh, you could potentially, in your sequencing, be able to think about maximising both, just depending on how I guess you, you know, you you configure and you organise the design of what it is that you want to do. Your thoughts on that?
1: Sure. I mean, so I think there's. I mean, for me, there's two issues. I mean, the one is, the one is that uh, our social policy needs to move from like uh, benevolence to, to, to justice, right? Mm-hmm. And I think the basic income grant does that. Uh, you know, it begins to say that regardless of who you are, etc. We think as a society that it's unjust for people to go hungry, right? Sure. And the proposal is that the basic income grant would be some way, uh, would would not still even be at the level of of, of the poverty line. You know, so it, it at least provides people with some food, but we're not, people are not getting over the poverty line. The question then is, how do, how, does, how do we get people over the poverty line? And that's where an employment guarantee, from, for me, becomes critical. You know, um, because it begins to say, okay, you have a basic income grant, but we don't expect you to be just surviving on a basic income grant. Let's use it to actually do something more. You know, and that's where employment guarantee, even through the government... Also, a combination of government and the private sector is critical to actually beginning to get people into the economy, um. uh, beginning to uh, provide opportunities and access to opportunities. And the third leg, obviously, is that we begin to deal with the broader sort of um, the asset base which people, which people, uh, which people have. So it's not just about a job. But I mean, that's sure. so far. I mean, I mean, I personally think. I mean, one of the things we need to be discussing is how one moves from a basic income grant to a basic asset grant over the long term than sort of in the next 15 years. Uh, But I think right now, given the long history of campaigning for the basic income grant Mm -hmm. and for some some sort of employment guarantee, even if we get that right now, at least that's a step in the right direction.
0: EK, we'll have to leave it there, my brother. Pleasure catching up with you. And thank you very much for coming through to share your insights with us.
1: Thank you so much, Aibonga.
0: Ibrahim Khalil Hassan, the uh, independent public policy analyst and uh, the founder of ZARPreneer, speaking to us this evening. What do you make uh, of, uh, I guess, some of these suggestions around an employment guarantee? I, I certainly seem to think that we've got so many different programs targeting young people that if you could align and make sure that these instruments cohere from the Youth Employment Tax Incentive, make sure it doesn't only benefit some of the bigger players, right through... Uh, to, uh, I guess, uh, aligning all of your other national youth service, yes, you know, uh, uh, community works program, EPWP, because Nakwezo stays for 55% young people.